Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. How many of you love a good mystery? Yeah, many people do. You know, the legend of the Loch Ness Monster in Scotland has intrigued millions of people for about 100 years now, apparently. Uh, It's not stopping anytime soon either. Um, A few years ago, a group of Nessie enthusiasts um, using a high-tech marine drone uh, conducted some of the most detailed um, scans of the lake bed of Loch Ness that have ever been done. And uh, this vehicle allows sonars to scan just a few meters above the floor of the lake, the loch, and gives resolution several orders of magnitude greater than, than anything before. And... Um, This effort did result in a couple of big fines, literally big fines. Um, The device discovered a 27-foot shipwreck on the bottom of the lock and and a 30-foot replica of of this legendary monster that was used in a movie made back in 1970. Uh, But but no real live monster yet, not yet. The possibility, though, uh, captivates and excites our imagination, doesn't it? Yeah, I I love mysteries. I mean, uh, it's probably my favorite kind of book to read or movie to watch. Um, Here's a question. Does the Bible have mysteries in it? Does the Bible have mysteries in it? Well, if, if... a mystery is about not getting answers to your questions, then yes, the Bible has some mysteries in it and to it. Uh, Sometimes things happen in the Bible or are said in the Bible that provoke good questions that the Bible never gets around to answering. And uh, here we are, we're nearing the end of our study on 2 Corinthians just this week and next. And The mega theme, the overarching theme of this book, 2 Corinthians, is about being cruciform, uh, having a cross-shaped life. In other words, um, if you are cruciform, your life resembles and reflects Jesus in, in a variety of different ways. And today's section of 2 Corinthians is one of the most, one of the most important ones of all. Because it's all about God's power and our weakness. You know, I I came across two mysteries in our text today as I studied it. Two things are mentioned here that cause me anyway to ask questions for which the Bible never supplies answers. And I wonder if you can guess what they are as we read the passage together. So let's read it just now. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 together. 
and I'll show you what I mean after we read those verses, okay? So you find it on your phone or in your Bible or the, uh, the Blue Pew Bible that's there and follow along as I read this scripture. Verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, here we go. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. By the way, that's was sort of Paul's way of talking about himself in the third person because he didn't know whether he was in the body or out of the body. He said, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here's the first mystery. What on earth, or it might be more accurate to say, what in heaven did Paul see in his vision? I mean, uh, he mentioned this incredible, this very personal ecstatic experience. And parts of it were still mysterious to him. It was so powerful, he wasn't, he wasn't sure that if he'd been in his body or taken out of his body. He knew that he'd been up to heaven because uh, people in the first century referred to it as the third heaven. First heaven um, was the earth's literal atmosphere. Second heaven was, you know, the, the realm of the moon and the stars that, that we can see. Third heaven was God's dwelling place. And um, Paul heard and he saw things there that he could not share with anybody else. It was too awesome, too holy, too above and beyond human experience to describe accurately and adequately. What did he see and hear? I mean, wouldn't you love to know? I would. The Bible provides no answers. Whatever Paul uh, experienced remains a mystery and will continue to be so until we get to heaven, I guess, and can ask him or see it for ourselves. Well, why did Paul even mention this vision here? Well, Paul's enemies, he called them the super apostles back at the church in Corinth, apparently bragged and boasted about their visions 
And the members of the church there at Corinth, oh, they were oh, just deeply impressed by these ecstatic experiences of these false teachers. And you see, visions and supernatural manifestations were a big deal in pagan Greco-Roman religions and culture at that time. And, and these relatively new Christians there in Corinth likely assumed that any and every spiritual leader uh, should be able to report and share about lots of personal visions that they'd had. And Paul apparently had never mentioned his visions, so they assumed that he hadn't had any. And uh, this made them wonder, you see, if Paul uh, was an authentic apostle after all. And those false teachers, they were only too eager to cast any doubt they could on Paul's credentials and credibility. Well, why hadn't Paul mentioned this vision before? Well, again, Paul offered no explanation for why he'd remained silent until now. It was likely because Paul knew that extraordinary visions had nothing to do with the Corinthians becoming followers of Jesus. Those visions hadn't helped him start the church in Corinth, hadn't helped to build up the church in Corinth. Therefore, the visions that Paul had had nothing to do with proving that he was an apostle. So why mention them? Here's a second mystery. What exactly was Paul's thorn in the flesh? So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. And you know, over the centuries, all sorts of suggestions have been made by Bible scholars. Uh, some think that Paul had some kind of an eye disease. Um, others believe that he had some kind of a speech impediment. Uh, maybe it was some sort of chronic illness or health condition like epilepsy. Bible never answers the question. It must, have, it must have been something very humiliating and debilitating for this man of God. In fact, that word thorn is not the best translation. The word is better translated and understood as a stake in his flesh, which connotes something a whole lot bigger, a whole lot more painful than just a mere thorn. A thorn and a stake are not the same thing. Okay. Nevertheless, what it was exactly remains this unanswered question, a mystery. And it will be un un until we get to heaven. But you know, actually, neither Paul's vision nor his thorn in the flesh is what makes this part of 2 Corinthians important for you and me today. Instead, this passage provides some, some really powerful insights into three other matters of truly great importance today and every day. So I want, to, I want us to look at those this morning. First of all, it provides insights into my weaknesses and your weaknesses and everyone's weaknesses. You know, here's the thing. I, I think it's a good thing that we don't have specific information about Paul's thorn or stake in the flesh. Why? Well, because then it would be much harder to apply widely and personally if Paul's exact weakness didn't match your weakness or my weakness. And the fact is that we, that we don't, 
that we don't know what it was allows us to apply very important spiritual principles to a wide variety of human weaknesses. Well, what did Paul mean by weaknesses? I mean, was Paul thinking about some kind of, a, of sin in his life? I doubt it because, you see, sin never glorifies God in any way. And here it's, it's suggested, it's said that weaknesses can glorify God. Maybe it was a strong temptation towards a specific kind of sin. I mean, I guess that's possible. But, but I'm more inclined to think that it was some kind of disability in Paul. You know, uh, again, many people have physical disabilities or they suffer from health conditions, blindness, deafness, paralysis, maybe some kind of chronic um, uh, health condition like, like, um, like epilepsy or whatever. Uh, other people suffer from psychological or emotional disabilities, such as, you know, you hear people have a learning disability or there's autism or there's a struggle with anxiety or, or depression. It, it might refer to anything that holds you back, that makes you feel ashamed, makes you feel inadequate. Um, here's some other, maybe you were raised in a very dysfunctional family and, uh, you know, your past is littered with a lot of broken relationships. Uh, maybe you feel uh, that there was, there was a, a life experience in your past that you are deeply ashamed of. Maybe you were sexually abused. Wasn't your fault, but nevertheless, it's there and you're ashamed of it. Or, or you spent time in prison. Or you went through a divorce. Or maybe you've struggled with some, some kind of mental illness. Maybe there's a bankruptcy in, in your past. Whatever the exact nature of your weakness, you would be very happy to expel it from your life forever. You'd, you'd like God to remove it from your life today, right now. Here's a very important insight from our passage. God can work in and through any weakness, but he can only use a weakness surrendered to him. You know, verses 9 and 10 are the key verses in our passage today, and they kind of summarize 2 Corinthians as a whole. But he, God, said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Th that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I know that word surrender is never used here, but the attitude of surrender is everywhere in those two verses. But, but God's strength isn't present automatically in any and every weakness. No, that only happens when we give it up to God 
And that only, hap- that, that only happens when we say something like this, Father, I, I'd like you to remove this from my life. I don't like it. I don't want it. But if I have to keep on putting up with it, then let your grace be sufficient for me. That's surrender. And Paul's surrender of his weakness, whatever it was, to God was so complete that he even got to the place where he welcomed it because it brought greater glory to God. Wow. What else do we learn about our weaknesses? Well, we learn that any weakness surrendered to God brings him glory. Has to be a surrendered weakness. Well, well, how does it do that? Well, somehow it displays God's power and it empowers God's mission. Somehow it does that. Look, look what Paul said there. My grace is, this is what God said to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, um, a proud, arrogant Paul would have hindered the message of Jesus. But a Paul that was well acquainted with humiliation and, and frailty somehow advanced Jesus' message. And, and when we own our weaknesses and other people observe those weaknesses in us or they, or they know about them, whatever they are, but then they see Jesus's power and they see his grace and they see his love working in and through us, they conclude this. Wow, would you look at that? Would you look at that? I mean, I thought their, I thought their weaknesses would stop God from using that person, but it hasn't. I, I thought their weaknesses were more powerful than God, but, but it isn't. If, if God loves and is using that person for his glory with his or her weaknesses, maybe God can love and use me and my weaknesses too. Hmm. Don't, don't miss some wonderful grace-filled paradoxes here. God turned Paul's weakness into an instrument of his power. And what Satan used to pester and afflict Paul, his weakness, thinking it would would make his ministry ineffective, God used that to defeat Satan. Amazing. William Lane Craig. He's been called Christian philosophy's boldest apostle. Christian philosophy's boldest apostle. Craig has traveled the world debating many of the world's most articulate atheists. Um, The atheist Sam Harris said, Craig is the one Christian apologist who seems to have put the fear of God into many of my fellow atheists, which is probably why the atheist Richard Dawkins refuses to debate William Lane Craig. But the story of how Craig became a brilliant scholar and debater reveals how God works in the midst of our weaknesses and our limitations. You see, from birth, Craig has suffered from Charcot-Marie-Tooth syndrome. What? Never heard of that before. Maybe you haven't either. Charcot-Marie-Tooth syndrome. It's a neuromuscular disease that causes atrophy in your extremities. And he walks with a slight limp, and his hands often look like he's gripping some invisible 
object. And growing up, William Lane Craig couldn't, he couldn't run normally. And he says, he, he says, my, my boyhood was difficult. Children can be very cruel. And since sports weren't an option for him, he joined his high school debate team. And initially, he wasn't, he wasn't interested in spiritual issues at all. But he started reading the Bible. And the Jesus that he found in the Bible took a hold of him. He became a follower of Jesus. And during college, he, he continued debating and searching uh, for his calling. And, and not until years later, though, after establishing himself as a philosopher, did he start to debate and defend his faith in Jesus in public settings. And it came as a welcome surprise. He now says, I'm just thrilled to be able to, to use debates as a means of fulfilling this vision of sharing the gospel. So I hear another insight about my weaknesses here. Any weakness, surrender to God, destroys my greatest enemy, pride. Pride. Paul became aware of something in his life that can become a problem for you and me just as easily. What's that? God's blessings can lead to spiritual pride or arrogance unintentionally. That's not why God gives them, but that can happen to us because we're sinful people. And, and the mighty vision that Paul had experienced, well, it was a great blessing from God, this thing that happened 14 years in the, in the past. And Paul said of it here, he said, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, I mean, whatever happened to Paul, it was a cherished, it was a life-changing event for him. And, and he didn't mention it often because... He was ashamed of it, no. Instead, he didn't mention it because it was so precious. It was so wonderful that he, he felt compelled to, to keep it private, personal. But he recognized receiving such an incredible and powerful blessing from God might tempt him to become proud. So what does he say? So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. You know, here's the thing. Paul might have concluded that he himself was special for receiving the blessing of that vision rather than the fact that God was special for giving it. Remember, remember that, brother, sister, when God blesses you in some wonderful way, and I hope that he will. I hope that he does. That blessing makes God special. Doesn't make you special. <laughs> it makes God special that he gave you that blessing. And um, surrendered weakness, um, they do something related to pride. They, they provide an opportunity to boast in the Lord, not in myself. Paul said here, that experience is worth boasting about. What's he talking about? That vision. But I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. 
that thorn, whatever it was, it prevented Paul from, from getting a bloated ego, which would have crowded out God's power in his life. Instead of boasting about visions, Paul boasted about the kind of weakness that better reveal God's power in and through his life. And, and when you can boast about your weaknesses, my friend, instead of your accomplishments, you're really boasting in the Lord, not yourself. And when we can look at our weaknesses like this, we, folks, here's the thing. We're, that's when we're becoming cruciform, cross-shaped. So our passage provides some incredible insights into my weaknesses, your weaknesses, all of our weaknesses. But you know, there's also some amazing insights in here about prayer, how I should pray and how you should pray. What do we learn from Paul's example? First, I want you to appreciate that it's appropriate to ask God to remove or change what is difficult in my life. It's, it's not wrong to ask God to rid your life of your weaknesses, the things that you're ashamed of, the things that hold you back, the things that make you sigh and cringe, the things that you just would long to leave behind. Oh, that, just, that just means we're human, folks. That's all. And don't miss what Paul said here about his weaknesses. He said, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And God never rebuked Paul for praying something that ended up not being God's will. Even Paul, this great man of God, he, he didn't immediately appreciate the significance of his own weakness. You see, whatever it was, it wasn't something that he easily endured. He likely thought it was something that would damage his ministry, and so, of course, he asked, he expected God to remove it and take it away. And, and Bible scholars uh, tell us that Paul's reference to three times, I prayed about this three times, can actually mean that he prayed about it repeatedly. He prayed about it on many occasions. I mean, and you think about even Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He asked his father three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is Jesus now. To, to take away the experience of the cross from his life. So don't, don't be ashamed or, or don't be uh, slow to, to ask God repeatedly and often to remove those weaknesses, those difficult things in your life. But that's not the whole story here. You see, there's another important insight about prayer here. It's also just as appropriate to accept what is inescapable. It's appropriate to pray God takes it away, but it's also appropriate to eventually get to the place where you accept what is inescapable. Think about it. Jesus accepted the cross after fervent and repeated prayer to be released from it. Paul eventually accepted God's will regarding his thorn and no longer asked to remove it. And at times, at times we have to accept what is inescapable in our own lives. Uh, Jesus learned that he didn't control his own life and destiny. He learned that in Gethsemane. Paul learned that he didn't control his own life and destiny. He, he found that out with this thorn in the flesh. 
you and I have to learn that we don't control our own lives and destiny. There's a time to pray repeatedly and earnestly, but there's also a time to accept a different answer than the one that we want. And God is not always going to remove or change what's difficult in your life or in mine. Well, Rick, how do you know the difference? I mean, how do you know how to pray? The Holy Spirit will teach you. He'll show you. He'll let you know. It's it's about surrender. And through prayer, we come to a place of acceptance of God's will regarding what we've been praying about and for. And, And oh, by the way, it's not a sort of a resentful, pouting kind of acceptance either but instead a a willing acceptance. It's all about surrender. Here's something else. When we offer up to God authentic prayer, we're going to come to this conclusion. It's appropriate to listen and to learn what God says is truly best for me. We don't always know that, folks. Jesus didn't think the cross was best for him, but it was. Paul didn't think the thorn or the stake was best for him, but it was. And either audibly or through his inner spirit, the Lord communicated a message to Paul about his request. The answer was no. No. God was going to give him sufficient patience and perseverance to bear with and endure this continued affliction, whatever it was. And God answered Paul's prayer, not not by delivering him from the stake, but by receiving the necessary grace to bear it. And furthermore, God, God revealed that his power is best seen or is somehow perfected in the midst of our weaknesses and our imperfections, not in their absence. And we might well be mistaken about what's best for our lives too. So when we can pray like this, folks, this is when we're becoming cruciform. This is when the the cross is, is showing its shape in our lives. So there's another group of insights provided in these verses. There's some, there's some insights into how God and how his grace works in my life and your life. Um, Here's the first one. And it might make you a tad uncomfortable, but it's true. God sends or allows weakness in my life so I can experience his power. See, on the one hand, Paul said this thorn, this stake, was a messenger of Satan sent to torment him. On the other hand, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that God did not overrule Satan? He didn't remove this, this uh, weakness from Paul's life, whatever it was. He, he allowed it. He allowed it. God did. So isn't it correct to say that because Satan is subject to God, less powerful than God, never his equal in any way, shape, or form, that, that God was, in a sense, the ultimate source of Paul's weakness, whatever it was? And if that's true, and I, I, I believe it is, So we have to ask, well, well, then why would God do this? And Paul eventually acknowledged that this thorn kept his own pride and his own arrogance in check. And he also acknowledged that it gave God 
yet another opportunity to display and to reveal his power and his glory in and through Paul. And folks, I don't know, but perhaps those are the same reasons that God allows thorns or weaknesses in your life and in my life. They keep pride in check and they allow God to reveal his power and his glory in and through your life and my life. Here's another insight. What we discover in this passage is a new and an enlarged understanding of grace. God's grace is a, it's a spiritual force that sustains me throughout my life. You see, we, we often, we usually think of grace in terms of salvation, right? You know, getting something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve forgiveness of our sins. We don't deserve a restored relationship with God who becomes our father and we become his children. We, we don't deserve the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We, we don't deserve to escape from the damnation of hell. We don't deserve the gift of eternal life in heaven, but God gives us all that. That's grace. And that's absolutely true. Wonderful. But, but, but here we see another dimension of God's grace. It's God's strength. It's God's love. It's God's power enabling us to persevere, to be faithful to God, despite the ongoing presence of those weaknesses and those limitations. God's grace carries us through. God's grace sustains us. God's grace encourages us. God's grace enables us. Well, here's a final insight. God reveals his greatness and his glory through my surrendered weaknesses. God's power resting upon humble and weak people and empowering them to be and to do what only God could do is, is it's everywhere in the Bible. For example, Abraham, the father of our faith, he once said this to God about himself, even though I am but dust and ashes. Moses, maybe the greatest leader who has ever lived, said to God, who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? David, the greatest king of Israel, once referred to himself as a poor man from a humble family. And then there's Paul, arguably the greatest single Christian who has ever lived. He wrote these words. This is a trustworthy saying. And everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Wow. And yet God did get things above and beyond anyone's imagination through these and other weak and flawed people. Folks, this, this is how God works. And this is precisely how he goes about defeating Satan and keeps on defeating him. And you know, you, you, we even see it in God's whole plan of redemption. There had to be weakness, Jesus' crucifixion, before there was God's power, Jesus' resurrection. And the same pattern is it's now being lived out and in through the experience of Paul. Uh, and he was trying, he was trying to get those Corinthians to understand that this is, this is a familiar pattern for all God's children. It's, it's all about Jesus' death 
and Jesus' life being re reproduced over and over and over again in, in the lives of his people. And so if, if you're one of Jesus' followers today, it's bound to show up in your life experience as well. It's, it's, it's part and parcel of being cruciform, of being cross-shaped. Author and speaker Tony Campolo tells a story of something that happened to many years ago when he was serving as a counselor at a Christian junior high camp. Well, it was Christian in name only because he said he had never met a meaner group of kids in his life than at this junior high camp. And um, they chose to focus their meanness on one of the kids that had come to camp. His name was Billy. Billy suffered from cerebral palsy, which, if you know anything about that, there's, the brain just doesn't connect correctly with your body movements, with your speech. And so... These kids began picking on Billy by calling him a spastic. And then, you know, Billy would kind of walk across the campgrounds in his disjointed, jerky kind of a way, and um, some of the kids would line up behind him, and, and they would mimic him as he tried to walk across the... Um, the campground, making fun of him. Well, this, this meanness got to its worst level when the boys in Billy's cabin voted him to be the speaker at the next day's morning devotions. Um, you know, the, the cabins would... would be divided up and they would give sort of lead the morning devotions the next day. So they voted Billy to be the speaker. Why? Because they knew he couldn't do it. And they wanted to laugh at him. They wanted to make fun of him. Well, Billy apparently didn't get the memo because he was quite happy to get up and speak at the morning devotion service the next day. And, you know, he got up and started walking up to the, the platform. And you could hear these little, little titters of, of mocking laughter in the background. Made his way up to the podium and stood there. And for... 10 tortured, agonizing minutes. He tried to communicate his message to that group. Jesus loves me, 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 me. Jesus loves me. And 
I love Jesus. Ten minutes to get all that out. And when he was finally done, that room was completely silent. And that's when the Holy Spirit showed up. Because there were boys all over that room that were trembling, that were weeping. And a whole bunch of boys gave their heart to Jesus that day in that room. And a whole bunch of those boys committed themselves that day to Christian service. Tony went on, you know, to speak all over the country. And he, he says, he says this, he says, he wished he would have kept track of all the men that he met over the years that said they became pastors because of a spastic kid named Billy. Wow. Are you cruciform? Are you cross-shaped? When you hear a story like Billy's, don't you ever dare to say that God can't use you and your weaknesses in great ways for the kingdom of God. Because God is able to take his power and reveal his glory and his grace through your weaknesses and through mine. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. And what it reveals to us about the things we don't like about ourselves, our weaknesses, things we're ashamed of, the things we just wish were gone, things we wish we didn't have to put up with. And yet they somehow reveal the power of your grace and your glory. And Lord, we just, we just surrender all that to you. That's what we learned from Paul's example today. Just surrender those weaknesses to you and see what you might be able to do with them and in them and through them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. 
That's Carl with a K, A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.